Live and Let Die, Goldfinger and Casino Royale, just some of the classic James Bond titles you will recognise, written by Ian Fleming. Some fans of 007 are shaken and stirred following the announcement that a 70th anniversary collection of the spy thrillers will be edited to remove insulting racial terms and derogatory references about women and sexual assault. It's just another example of classic texts being revised for modern readers and it follows the row about changes proposed for some of the children's books written by Roald Dahl. So is there a good case to support these changes or should readers accept that these books reflect the attitudes at the time, no matter how unpopular they are today or how offensive for some people. To discuss, we're joined by Dr Michelle Smith, a specialist in children's literature at Monash University, and Josh Gay, who's a contributing writer for the James Bond Australia website. Welcome to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Josh, I want to start with you. You describe yourself as a lifelong Bond fan. Do you support the announcement then from Ian Fleming's publishers that a complete series of revised novels will be released with the following explanation, and I'll read it. This book was written at a time when terms and attitudes which might be considered offensive by modern readers were commonplace. A number of updates have been made in this edition. What do you think of it? So I I think it's a complex uh, subject to tackle, and one of the things we we need to understand about, I guess, the history of the the Ian Fleming texts themselves is this isn't the first time that they have been edited. Um, uh, back in 1953, that's when uh, Live and Let Die was uh, first released uh, in the UK. Uh, that was a completely unedited um, version of the text. And, yeah, it, it definitely does have some less than favourable <laughs> um, uh, slurs and pejoratives, I think, in the text is uh, probably a nice way of putting it. And Ian Fleming himself I, as much as I love the series and love the stories and the characters, he wasn't exactly the uh, the most progressive of people. Um, so in 1955, when the books were actually going to be released in the US, they um, they they did edit them back then with uh, Fleming's blessing uh, to remove and uh, reword some of these uh, uh, slurs, especially in in relation to the uh, the African and African American communities. So. I, whilst it is, I guess, disappointing that it's a, a, a quite a large rewrite from what we I understand that uh, Ian Fleming Publications, the uh, the owners, of the rights of the books are doing now, uh, and they're they're not necessarily changing all uh, of the things that are in the books, and I think that's probably what's drew, uh, drawn a lot of ire from people is it's not just one race that they're they're changing; they're only changing wording towards specifically the African-American community. There's a lot of racial slurs uh, against Asian communities in the books from back then. And from what we understand and the the statements that they've put out, they're, they're not changing those things. So I think it's it's a very complex subject mm. and I, I don't agree with all of the changes that they've made or how they've gone about it. That's really interesting, the selectiveness of it, right. Dr yeah. Michelle Smith, your your area of expertise is fairy tales and children's literature. Before we discuss the case of Roald Dahl's work, which has been very much in the headlines, what's your reaction to the editing of Ian Fleming's 007 novels? 
Um, look, I think it's surprising because in children's literature, we're very used to the editing of works over time. You know, fairy tales, for example, um, the Grimm's sanitise them for children. So there's a very long history of what we think children should have access to, what we think they're capable of reading and, and the kinds of values and ideas we want them to be exposed to. In in the instance of works for adults, I think there's there's much more of a, a, a question mark over that in that adults um, are surely capable of understanding historical context, you know, um, while we wouldn't probably hold up in Fleming's works as great examples of literature, there's racism throughout uh, the literary world from Shakespeare onward. And when we confront texts that are from the past, as adults, part of what we're doing is reading about a world where people thought differently, right? So um, the idea that we can modernise um, texts um, is a fraught one because, um, as, as has been suggested, where do we stop? You know, do we change the representation of uh, every single thing that offends us, the sexism? Effectively, the text left at the end, if it met today's um, expectations, probably wouldn't look a lot like the original um, one. So it's not to say that these are, uh, you know, amazing works of literature that cannot um, be touched because they're sacred, but it's about um, the integrity, I guess, of a literary work and the notion that it, it's probably a fraught or impossible task to uh, take a book written in a particular context and make it meet contemporary values. And, of course, every individual reader will have different perceptions of what's acceptable. So once we start using... Um, modern sort of um, publisher's standards because they're interested in continued sales of a book as our arbiter of culture, that starts to get a bit worrying in a lot of people's minds, I think. And Michelle, returning to, to the big discussion about Roald Dahl, what is it about his writing that, that has become so divisive? Look, like um, Fleming, Dahl actually had controversy in his own lifetime. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, was originally published with Oompa Loompas who were, quote, African pygmies, uh, and they came to work in the factory for free uh, for cacao beans. So it was something that offended um, the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People in the US in the lead up to the Gene Wilder film, and um, he was compelled to change that depiction in the books um, from the early 70s. So um, it's something that, you know, this, this is somebody who um, grew up kind of in, in the early 20th century, had some different experiences um, to maybe what we would see as, um, you know, acceptable today. And his books do hold a lot of those 1960s values about gender, you know, so some mm. of the changes that have been made are about, I guess, sexism and uh, gender inclusivity. Um, so, it's it's kind of hard to expect a book from the 60s to reflect to us the values that we think children should be absorbing today. And the usual process would be that as language seems outdated, books fall out of favour. And we've seen that uh, with most works of children's literature. They just stop being read. But now we have these very valuable properties. I think uh, Netflix have just done a huge deal of $500 million relating to Dahl's works. So there's a, a lot more commercial pressure, I think, to keep these books in print rather than simply let them, uh, that natural process of attrition, um, of course, we've seen it with Enid Blyton in the past kind of several decades as well, attempts to keep the books from fading into that sort of classic territory that perhaps only um, nostalgic adults buy. Um, but with Dull, um, it's one of those cases where 
simply changing a word here or there probably doesn't actually change the morality and the ideology that's mm. found in the books. So that's why simply um, trying to edit or bottlerize the books doesn't necessarily achieve um, that aim, but maybe it helps the publisher uh, keep the books on the shelf. I just want to ask both of you uh, in relation to both Dahl and Fleming, should we consider these books as cultural artefacts with historical significance? Josh, what do you think? Uh, I think especially... Uh, speaking about the James Bond and Ian Fleming series, where in the 70th anniversary of the the literary books this year, so last year was the 60th anniversary of the films, so I think 70 years of history and culture that's been wrapped up in these books and generations who've read them, I, I definitely think it's something that, yeah, should be looked at as historical texts, essentially. What do you think on, on that one? I mean, uh, uh, Michelle, is that is that the way we should consider it? Look, within literature, I guess we assume that the work written by the author, in, or if they wish to make changes, there's a sacredness to that because we have a history of, you know, fearing political interference or fearing others judging what we can and can't read uh, that we hold pretty dear. So the idea that um, we make uh, edits based on commercial decisions after the author's lifetime, you know, it's a hard one to stomach. I think we can um, think about, say, the Penguin uh, with Dahl now going to publish a classic edition, which will contain the original text and uh, another edition that may be more suitable for parents with children. So that could be a, a, a debatable one. But I guess um, from a children's literature perspective, we'd suggest that, you know, this is a prime opportunity to get children to think about the books they're reading, to be critical readers and to maybe discuss some of the issues. So some of the worries with simply changing superficial wording is that it doesn't enable children to actually uh, easily see what's going on in a book and uh, try to uh, understand or think about that. Instead, um, we're just trying to pass it through um, the commercial gatekeeper and mm. keep them on the shelf. So in my view, it, it, it's probably better to either not read the book or deal with the book as it stands and try to negotiate it. And if we don't like uh, the values found in a book, we, we simply stop reading it. Really interesting conversation. Thank you to both of you. You're welcome. Thank you. Josh Thank you very Gay much. runs a James Bond fan page and Dr. Michelle Smith is a senior lecturer in literary studies at Monash University and specialises in children's literature. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.